Good morning, and thank you for joining us for worship this morning, especially those who are joining us either by our television broadcast or our live streaming services. From time to time on Sunday morning, I will receive notes from folks who are watching either on television or through live streaming. And they normally say, Richard, we want to be in touch. Thank you for providing this service for us. It makes such a difference while we are at home and living with the restrictions of all of the COVID-19 quarantine challenges. And this last week, I received several notes and cards like that, emails as well. But I also received a photograph. And it was a photograph, as you can see, And here I am teaching on a Wednesday night in the top right-hand corner. But in the bottom left-hand corner, you can see Prissy, the family dog. And Prissy, apparently, is one of our great fans. And it would appear that First Presbyterian as a church is enormously well received by the canine community down in the Isle of Palms. So, Prissy, good morning. I promised I would give her a shout out and a wave this morning, so thank you for joining us. And, of course, people often send pictures of images of grandchildren, uh, so I thought Prissy was a first. Uh, so, Prissy, good morning and thanks for joining us. Now, over these last few weeks, as you heard from Claire moments ago, we have come a long way as we have engaged with the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, we started back in the middle of August. And some Sunday mornings, we would go deep and examine the hidden depths of what is, as we were reminded, the most popular sermon in all of history, because it is packed with rich doctrinal teaching, yet also practical application. And over these last seven months, thinking back to the spring now, we have come through challenges that have been complex. They have been complicated, to say the least. They have been deeply challenging and, quite honestly, for many of us, exhausting. And as we have made our way through the Sermon on the Mount, it has been remarkable to see how often, Sunday by Sunday, God's Word opens up and speaks directly into our lives, especially as we have sought to live in a 21st century context. Now, some of you were with us maybe four or five weeks ago when we looked at that wonderful beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And on that morning, not only did we look at that verse, we sought to apply it by saying, how does this apply to us as we live in what seems a divisive, challenging political and cultural context? What do we do as the peacemakers in our world? How do we deal with, how do we respond to political dialogue which seems to have moved from contrasting views to conflicting views? And all over social media it seems that political dialogue has become aggressive and strident and in your face and it has caused significant problems among friends. How do we as Christians apply to that context 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A couple of Sundays after that, I reminded you of a suggestion by our own senator, Tim Scott. Several senators and the Senate chaplain got together and came up with a process called Solution Sunday. And if you were with us or watching that Sunday, you'll remember the idea was this, that if you don't have a friend in your life of another race, that over the next few weeks you would go out of your way to befriend someone from another race who may not think as you think, look as you look, uh, have a worldview that is identical to yours, and you would begin to prayerfully befriend that individual and the family and... As that friendship grew and you prayed for one another and the friendship moved to a new level, the idea was you would invite them and their children to your home for a meal. And that's what lay behind Solution Sunday. And if you remember at the end of that study, we said together, let's try this as a congregation. And do you remember the sting in the tail? It was we had to be active because we were putting a timeline on it and we said you had to complete this by Thanksgiving. And on that Sunday we said, great idea, let's move forward prayerfully, carefully. We don't want this to be a church project or something that's artificial or manufactured, but genuine friendships building and developing. And having said that was a great idea, Five weeks ago, it was a great idea. But now, Thanksgiving is only four weeks away, and some of us are behind the curve on this. And we need to start thinking, okay, how are we moving with this? If God is calling us to prayerfully think about engaging with folks from another race, how do we do that? And so the pressure's now on. This past week, and Ruth and I are in exactly the same position as many of you, this past week I had lunch with two African-American pastors on two different days, simply to get alongside them, to befriend them, pray for them. What are the challenges in their lives? What are the blessings in their lives? And so that was a great encouragement for me this past week. And I'm hopeful and prayerful those friendships will develop and we will move to the place where we can invite them to our home. Now, if you know anything of Ruth, you will know this is not easy. And it's nothing to do with the fact that African-American. It's everything to do with the fact that when I go home, at night, she makes me strip down to my boxer shorts, she hoses me down, incinerates my clothes, makes me go for a shower before she lets me over the door. Uh, she is something of a germaphobe, and with all of the COVID stuff going on, she's saying, let's be nice and careful here, and we understand that's the context that we live in. But nonetheless, there was the challenge How do we actively live out our faith equipped to apply it to our lives in a 21st century context? And so we've come a long way over these last few months together. And so this morning, we're coming to what is Commitment Sunday. And Commitment Sunday for us is a very special Sunday. And if you're here this morning for the first time, this is going to feel a little odd to you. And we don't do this every Sunday. 
Last Sunday morning, we had Stewardship Sunday. This week is Commitment Sunday. And during the singing of our last hymn, I'm going to ask you to get up from where you're seated, come forward, and put your financial commitment for 2021 into the baskets that are right here at the front. And our ushers will dismiss you section by section, row by row. And if you have come this morning and are not prepared for that, that's absolutely fine. Fill out your commitment card and mail it in this week. And so that's a little different this morning as well. But as we come to this Commitment Sunday, we're coming to the passage where Jesus is teaching about prayer and having modeled for them prayer earlier in chapter 6 with our Father who art in heaven, he reminds them here again in chapter 7 that when it comes to prayer, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now when Jesus is reminding his listeners that morning about prayer, he's reminding them of the need to persevere in prayer. Sometimes, and rightly so, we offer up a quick emergency prayer. And many of us have found ourselves in that situation in the past, and that's always a healthy prayer. But quick emergency prayers shouldn't be our daily practice. And when he begins to speak about prayer, he's going to take us to a whole new level when it comes to persevering in prayer, because Jesus knows, as so many of us know, that prayer takes time. It's not something we can rush. If you were with us a couple of weeks back when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, do you remember what we said? Choir, I'm absolutely sure you remember. We said prayer is predicated on a relationship. It's not predicated on set words at a set time, at set days of the week, but it's predicated on relationship. Our Father. And relationships take time. Now we live, as you heard me say earlier, in a 21st century context. And that 21st century context means that for us, we are immersed in a ubiquitous digital playground. It means that we can text and tweet and talk instantly On my cell phone, I can phone family uh, a third of the way around the world. You can phone people in Asia, Africa, South America. We can do it instantly. There's no shortage of communication. And yet, in this fast-paced world where communication is accessible instantly, we have discovered that we can truncate our communications to symbols. Any of you familiar with emojis? Children, grandchildren may text you and it will be a series of emojis. And you've got to work out what's going on. There are around 2,800 of the most popular. 2,600 of them are used each day. The most popular ones are these. On the far left, you will see a face that is crying with laughter. That's a good emoji. The other one, of course, is where eyes are replaced with love hearts. Someone else sending you hugs and kisses. Then you have a birthday cake. The heart, incidentally, is the number one when it comes to popularity. 
popularity in emojis. And then, of course, you have a smiley face. These are popular emojis. But please remember, emojis can never replace prayer. Can you imagine praying with emojis? Is that going to take the relationship to the next level? Probably not. The thing that God delights in most is when his children come to him and climb up onto his lap and rest there and they open up heart and mind and soul and will and conscience and they pray and they delight in him and tell him how much we love him and thank him for his grace and the warmth of his presence, the tender nature of his touch. And when we get to that level in our prayers, what is happening? It is this, that God is retuning, recalibrating our deepest affections and holding us close that we would be strengthened, encouraged, equipped to live out our faith day by day by day, to be authentic and transparent and credible in how we live. We know it's not enough to say it on Sunday. We have to live it out through the week. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We've got to live it out. And when we are in prayer, then he takes us to a whole new level. Whole new level. Prayer involves God nourishing the heart. It is birthed in relationship. There is no substitute for that. There cannot possibly be. And that's why he says when it comes to prayer, persevering matters. Ask, seek, knock. You will find, but persevere in the midst of it. Have you ever wondered why in Luke's Gospel we read that the night before Jesus chose the twelve, he spent the entire night in prayer? Why was that? Was he rethinking his last minute decision on Judas? Maybe Judas should be put on the bench and someone else called to be an apostle? Was he fearful of making a mistake? No. The night before choosing the twelve, Jesus was not focused on himself, but rather he was focused on the twelve because he knew what was coming. He knew the joy and the blessings. He knew the encouragement, the miracles they would see, the teaching that would transform thousands of lives. He knew how communities would be impacted, but he also knew this, that some days would be so dark, the apostles would feel like giving up. Some days they would be so discouraged. Some days they would feel like walking away and giving up on prayer. And he's praying for them that they will seek the presence of God. That they will seek to climb up onto his lap and ask and seek and knock. That's what was going on. 
And here is a remarkable thought. If you have never thought this through, please hear this. In John chapter 17, John tells us this. He was then praying for every believer who would come to know him in the future. And that means you. Praying for you. Isn't that absolutely remarkable? Praying for us. In the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel, much of them focus on the days after David was anointed to be king. Because after being anointed to be king, Saul began to hate David. Tried to kill him twice, in fact made him an outlaw. And David was fleeing for his life with a price on his head. And in First and Second Samuel, the end of First Samuel, all throughout Second Samuel, we read words that began to characterize and became a feature of the life of David. And the words appear not just two or three times, or four or five times, but in fact on nine occasions we read, David then inquired of the Lord. David then inquired of the Lord. Does that summarize your own life? Backs against the wall. You're being challenged in significant ways, ways you never thought possible. You're tempted to think, if he really loved me, why am I up against it? Why can't I see what he's doing? Why isn't there an easy, straightforward solution? Father, what are you doing? David then inquired, of the Lord. Talk about doing the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally. That's what was going on. It was built into his very DNA. Now there are times when David gets it wrong. And the times he gets it wrong, read through the passage and notice where prayer was. It was usually absent. Usually absent. Towards the end of the book of Genesis, in one of my favorite Old Testament passages, God wrestles with Jacob all night long. All night long. Not just five minutes, but all night long. And God could have, when that first took place, reached over and touched Jacob on the socket of his hip and said, Jacob, who do you think you are wrestling with me? And he could have disabled him like that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He wrestles with Jacob all night. And at one point he says to him, tell me your name. Now isn't that odd? Did God randomly jump on some passerby, wrestle with him to the ground, not knowing what's going on? No. He knew exactly who he was wrestling with. That was his intent. 
And he says to Jacob, tell me your name. Because the name Jacob means manipulator, swindler, cheat. And Jacob cries out, Jacob! Jacob! He is confessing who he is. Because when God forces us to a place of persistent prayer, he's taking you to a whole new level. And he's causing you to be ultra-dependent on him. A profound dependency takes place in genuine prayer. God is not interested in a casual relationship with us when we check in Mondays and Fridays and maybe occasionally on a Wednesday night. He's interested in deep, profound relationship. The heart, the mind, the soul, the whole person. And with Jacob, he was transforming him from the inside out. Radical surgery, going deep, taking out the old Jacob and replacing it with love and grace and tenderness and holiness. And he changed his name took from him the Jacob he once was and replaced it with the name Israel. My chosen people. That's what happens in prayer. So please let me give you a health warning. If you are ready and serious about growing in your faith, if you're ready to go to the next level, if your soul is crying out this morning, if you are saying, Richard, that describes me, I want to know him at that level, I'm ready to ask and seek and knock and find, be ready because it will be terribly uncomfortable, but always healthy. Always healthy. That's what's going on right here. It's a picture of prayer. And one of our difficulties this morning when we come to a passage like this is we naturally focus on the persevering. And following the persevering, what do we then focus on? For everyone who asks receives. And that's the part we like, isn't it? That's the part we like. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's where we inevitably focus. And of course, that's right. But you have to remember the process that will take you there. Because the process in the eyes of God is every bit as important as the end product. Every bit as important. We've said several Sundays, as we've made our way through the Sermon on the Mount, when we have our eyes fixed on the challenge before us, he has his eye fixed on us. Because he is asking the question, who are you becoming as I challenge you? And he's shaping and fashioning us to be more and more Christ-like day by day by day. The Apostle Paul prayed three times that God would answer his prayer and take from him what he described as a thorn in the flesh. And three times God said no. And you may be saying, Richard, minutes ago you told us if you ask, 
and seek and knock, you will find that he will answer. And now here is the apostle Paul, Paul, praying, crying out to God, and God refuses three times. What on earth is going on here? I thought you promised if you pray, if you seek after him, if you persevere, if you are willing to change, why doesn't he answer? The answer he gave to Paul is the answer he gives to us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because when we pray, remember what we said moments ago, there is a profound sense of dependency and trust. And when we ask, we also trust. When we persevere, we move deeper towards dependency. Not a casual ABC formulaic prayer, but a heart-wrenching, deep desire that he would answer and reveal to you his purpose and his will. Remember further on in the passage, in fact, it tells us if a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, will God not do that to us? Yes, he will. But please hear this. He does so in his time and his way. Last Wednesday evening I was teaching a class and mentioned to those who were there that a doctor friend, this was several years ago, told me a story of a young dad bringing in his five-year-old son and his son had an ear infection and it had been several days now since he first complained about pain in the ear and clearly there was an infection there and it was red and there was a boil in fact there and the pain for the five-year-old was awful. He'd not stopped crying and woke up around 6 o'clock that morning. It was now 9.30 and the doctor said, of course, bring him in. He brought them in and he said to his dad, it is an infection. Antibiotics will help, but we have to lance that boil and help get rid of the infection. Now, you and I medically understand we grasp the importance of getting rid of the infection. But when you are five years old and the person who has loved you and cuddled you and prayed for you to go to sleep at night, when that person holds you down and a doctor inflicts upon you incredible pain, that relationship with the father changes, does it not? A five-year-old doesn't understand. He can't grasp the bigger picture. Sometimes in prayers, we can't understand. We don't see what else is taking place. But I would have to tell you from my personal experience that when he says no, he has something so much better than I could ever imagine still to come my way. Painful, yes. Persevering, of course. Dependency, naturally. And you may be here this morning, you may be watching at home and saying, Richard, I agree, but I have to tell you this. I have gone through difficulties in the last seven months I couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. Relationships have soured in the midst of COVID-19. 
I have been worried about my business. I have been worried about my children. I'm worried about my parents and my grandparents' health. And it seems that one thing after another, after another, after another has challenged us. I'm discouraged. I'm fed up. I'm ready to give in. I'm ready to stop trying. It seems to me that my darkest nights are defying the sunrise. But please hear this. If you are there this morning, please be very, very careful. Because discouragement is a petri dish for bad decisions. It's an incubator for poor thinking. Resist. Pray, persevere. Complicated, yes. Complex, yes. Exhausted, of course. But please hear this. When you continue, when you persevere, when you go back to Him, that's the very time to rest on His lap, sense the warmth of His presence, the tenderness of His touch. And please let me be very practical. If you are discouraged, please don't seek out other discouraged people. It will not help you. It won't. People who are critical of everyone and everything often hang out with people who are critical of everything and everyone. Discouragement hangs out with discouragement. Resist. Stand up. Run to Him. Rest in Him. The temptation is, you know it well, we love those who commiserate with us when we are going through tough times and we avoid those who bring correction and direction. And yet that's often what we need the most. In a few moments we're going to have an act of commitment. I mentioned it to you earlier. And it's that time when prayerfully, sacrificially, as individuals, we get up from where we're seated and our ushers will lead us row by row. We come forward and we give. But I want you to do one more thing this morning as you come forward. And it's this. That in your act of commitment, saying, as for me and my family, I support all that's happening at First Presbyterian. I support this thriving and growing congregation. I support our new building campaign. I'm right there with you, praying, encouraging, committing myself. But I'm also committing myself to pray for those who are struggling this week. And in that act of commitment, and when Sunday turns to Monday, and Monday to Tuesday, and Tuesday to Wednesday, please persevere in prayer for those who are discouraged this morning. Let's stand together and pray. Father, as we come to you this morning in this act of commitment, we do so prayerfully, carefully, sacrificially, we give of our finances to support all that you are doing in our midst. And we thank you for the many ministries that we are the recipients of. And this morning we also pray for those who are struggling, ready to give up, have drifted from you. 
Grant to them your enabling grace, your sustaining touch. And Father, as we gather and sing again of the Jesus whom we love, what a friend he is to us. Enable us to commit ourselves to pray for those in need. Father, thank you for your hand of blessing upon us as individuals and families. Thank you for your love for us as a congregation. Now bless us as we take this step of commitment today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.